You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. If you're in your pew Bible, it's page 899. We'll begin with a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you for the blessings that you've given us, for the hope that we have in you, for the promises that you've given and you've shown to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Lord, as we read your word this morning, let it seep deep into our hearts, into our minds, and let, we, let us come away changed, transformed, and let us live out your word and your truth as we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But from this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come from your, for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. The word of God for the people of God. So Jesus has entered in to Jerusalem. It is the last week of his earthly ministry, uh, coming up to the crucifixion, and here's the the moment that signals that his hour has come. 
You'll remember as we've worked our way through, every once in a while Jesus has um, said something about um, my hour has not yet come or my hour you know, will come, but I will be glorified. And it is when some Greeks come and they meet um, Philip. Uh, Philip has a Greek name. He was uh, from a, a town that would have been closer to um, Gentile areas. So he would have been the natural uh, candidate for people to come and want to meet Jesus. And uh, Philip brings them to Andrew. Andrew um, seems to be really good at bringing others to Jesus. And so Andrew brings them in and, or comes to Jesus and says, hey, there's some Greeks who want to meet you. They want to see you. In other words, they, they want some time with you. And um, as so often in John, Jesus' response is kind of startling, not what we'd expect. Um, you would expect to be, come on in, or not right now, but instead, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And there's so many times you wonder what the disciples' expression was when they heard Jesus say something like this. As I reflected on this, I, I did realize it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus kind of has these startling moments. He tells us that he will return as a thief in the night. No one will know. And there's a sense in which God acts when people least expect it. That, that we don't, when would we ever expect Jesus ready to say, now is the moment, now I'm going to be glorified. And so anytime Jesus was to have said that would have been a startling moment. We don't know if Jesus later talked to them or turned them away. But the point is, for something with the Greeks coming to see Jesus was what kind of triggered him to say, my hour is here. And it might be that Jesus was saying that he was going to be one who would go and um, that the message would go you know, beyond, beyond Israel, that it was going to be all people who would hear this message. We, we've just heard the phrase where the Pharisees saw um, the huge crowds and they made the statement, the whole world has gone after him. So here's part of that fulfillment, but he realizes now his hour has come. And so he says that... My hour has come. It's time for him to be glorified. And here's another irony of ironies that John has. Jesus' glory is his death on a cross. When we think of glory, we think of wealth and fame and, and um, people seeing us and power. But for Jesus' glory, it is to be enthroned and receive a crown and go to a bloody cross as He gives up His life for us. For Jesus, His glory is being lifted up in death, which leads to His being lifted up in resurrection. The death and the resurrection are both His glory. He draws all men to Himself. He rises from the dead and rules in power. And so He explains it with um, an agricultural metaphor. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, you take a seed. If you just hang on to the seed, it's just a seed. But if you take that seed and you plant it, and it dies, and it's buried, and it's in the ground, it no longer is a seed. It dies to itself, but it becomes something else. It becomes a plant that produces so much more grain. I, I think... Th 
you know, that, that's an image we understand. We know what it is. The seed ceases to be what it is, but in ceasing to be what it is, it becomes so much more. The death leads to its glory. And, and there's something in me that thinks that maybe there, there's an understanding of this beyond what we have. I mean, if, you know, we get bread in a plastic bag at Walmart or Kroger or Navy's. Don't want to leave anybody out. So, you know, we, we get our bread that way. Um, and we get our seed, you go to the co-op, and it's, you know, kind of probably genetically modified or tr- chemically treated or something. And I think for most of us, we, we don't make that kind of connection that this is what leads to that. But in the ancient world, when you harvested, you, you might need to keep a third of what you harvest in order to plant for the next year. And as the winter has gone and as you are hungry, you understand that seed is life. And there's the temptation to keep it as seed, to eat it. You know, to keep it. And you realize you have to keep that if you want to eat next year. You, you can't take all of it. The, the, there has to be some left and, um, for planting, to die, to not be used. And I think there might be kind of an understanding of you can't just let the seed stay seed. You can't just let it become something you're going to mill and make bread. You have to sacrifice it. You have to sacrifice that life to become death, to become something greater, to be glorified in that death. And that is what Jesus does. He goes to the cross for us. He must die in order to bear fruit of His people, to redeem you, to bring you into God's family. He has to die so that you can live. And so he goes to the cross, that grain of seed that is, that is killed, and he rises again on the third day and bears much fruit. Those who live in him, who have resurrected life through faith in him. And so that is what Jesus is pointing to, and he's, he's showing us what manner of death he will die, John tells us. He, he's pointing us to the cross. But this is his glory, this is his death, and his suffering. Jesus says, you know, save me from this hour. Or should I say, save me from this hour? But he recognizes and says, this is why I've come. The whole point of Jesus' coming was that he might bear our sins on the cross, that we who have sinned, by trusting in him, might have our sins put on him, and that we might have new life in him. And, and that is what we, we hope for. We trust in him. And so if, I'll just say, you know, if you're here this morning and you, and you think Christianity is mostly about following rules and doing good things and, and all this, recognize that all of it is based on trusting the one who was lifted up, who died so that we might live. But then he also shows us that that is the pattern of our life. Um, he says that whoever loses his life who loves his life loses it whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life if anyone serves me he must follow me and where i am there will be my servant also in other words where jesus goes to die so that he might live and bear fruit you and me and everyone who would claim christ and claim to follow him also must go and die that we might bear fruit that we must not hold to our life in this world, but that we must give it up so that we might have eternal life and that we would bear fruit. That we must not um, love everything that's here, 
In other words, as Jesus said elsewhere, what does it profit a man if he um, gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Following Jesus is not just the trust, but it's following Him in that pattern of giving up ourselves, of dying to ourselves. That means that the things that we think of most in our life, we have to be willing to say, I yield this up. I give it away. I I forfeit it. I I give it away because I'm going to die. And I'm going to die to myself. You know, I mean, we we talk about things being our life. You know, my my family is my life. My job is my life. My, My, you know, sports is my life. There was a time music was my life. Because we really do hold on to those things and they seem to be what makes life worthwhile for us. You know, if I have this, this is what life is. And to follow Christ means those things must be given up and yielded to Him. I think for all of us, we understand that. And there's a lot that we are willing to give up. There's a lot we're willing to turn away from. But everyone in here has something where you are tempted to say, on this point, I'm going to stay in control. Uh, on this point with my resources, on this point with my time, on, on this point with um, the, 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 the things I'm willing to put up with, on this point, I'm going to hold on to my life in this world. And to follow Christ is to die, and particularly to die in those areas where you feel the most pressure to cling to and say, this is my life. As a pastor, I have uh, done many funerals, been to many funerals. And it it strikes me the number of times I go to somebody who has been very successful in this world and has gained a lot, maybe a lot of prestige, a lot of um, wealth, a lot of, you know, um, recognition. And, and, And there can be times I can see that someone made their work their life or made their possessions their life or, or, and or, you know, even made themselves their life. And I've, I've, I've always been struck by some of the people that I, you know, initially I thought this was, you know, a really respectable person. And I went and I just recognized how many people um, were talking about the great things they did, but not about the relationship. I've been struck at how many of those I go to and secrets come out that change your whole perspective of somebody. And I've been to other funerals where someone had modest accomplishments. Or, I mean, there's others where someone had great accomplishments. But that wasn't the focus. You know, I've, I've been to those where um, you, you can just tell the difference where the place is crowded with people who are telling you, this is what they meant to me. This is what this person did to me. Um, this is what they gave for me. And the love and the relationship of somebody who didn't say, I'm going to cling to my life and I'm going to make my life all about myself, but I'm going to give my life up for others of serving and and giving and sharing. And the difference of those two is staggering. Of those who, you know, just focused on their self and their family and their taste and their preferences versus someone who said, I'm going to give up my life for those around me. And I've also been to um, kind of funerals of churches and, and, and the work of uh, you know, Presbytery, the, the body that oversees our churches. Uh, I've been to many times we've closed churches. 
And it is always the case that about 10, 20 years earlier, they became completely and exclusively focused on saving their life, preserving themselves. How do we um, maintain the power bill? How do we um, keep things going? How do we do this? How do we get people like us in here? And that always leads to death when a church becomes focused on itself versus other churches that are vibrant and living. The the question being asked is not, not what do I like and what kind of programs do I want for me and my family, but rather who are those around us and how do we give ourselves up? How do we, how do we pour out our resources for mission? How do we um, provide re- things and programs not just for us, but for people in our neighborhood who we're not reaching? In other words, a focus of how do we die to what we want to bear fruit with others? We do this personally by looking to others and thinking not how do I use them to build me up, but how do I serve? We do this um, corporately by asking ourselves constantly, how do we give ourselves up as a church to show Christ's love who died for us and gave himself for us that we might live? Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.